1: Alrighty, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I am your host, Cameron tuckett I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. The Celtics Lab Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network and AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. It's nearly uh, time for Boston Celtics basketball. I was just informed media day is October 2nd, but from an inside scoop. And between now and then, we are going to talk about uh, best case and worst case scenarios. For the Celtics season uh, ahead, and to do that, we welcome in my friend and yours, Bobby Kravitsky of SI and Sports Map Radio Network. Bobby, what's up,
0: guys? Always a pleasure. Appreciate you having me on.
1: Bobby's the best. Hey Tim, uh, I'll just the off the jump uh, when we cover games. If I'm like ever feeling nervous about asking a question, Bobby is the
0: wind beneath my wings. He's so supportive. I'm I'm his corner man for that. Yeah, and they're good questions. <laughs> He's, He's like yelling me you. off after I get. <laughs> you got this, Rock. <laughs> Yeah. We make a good team.
1: All right, kiddos. This is the agenda for today. We're going to talk about maybe some dissatisfaction in Boston's backcourt. We're going to talk about uh, some new additions to the team as training camp looms. Bobby had a pretty nice scoop with one of the WNBA's finest we'll talk about. And then in the lab portion of the programming, we're going to talk about our hopes and fears, our best case scenarios, our worst case scenarios for the Celtics uh, and the coaches and everything else. So, Let's get right into it. Alex, welcome back.
2: Hello. Nice to see Let- you all.
1: Um, well, Alex, I'm happy you're back. I was going to start with some news, which is we want to express our condolences to the Hunter family. Brandon Hunter, who played for the Celtics, uh, passed away at the age of 42, kind of uh, in an unforeseen circumstance. Um, so, first of all, thoughts to his family, but also for goodness sake, hire human writers. And I won't expand on that. Anyone who knows, knows. In other news, uh, on the other side of the emotional coin, Marcus Smart got married, and to everyone who's anyone who was there, it looked like a blast. Congrats to Marcus Smart, friend of the podcast, I'm sure. Um, whoa, Joe Missoula, you sure know how to smile like a human, huh? <laughs> that was wacky.
0: Okay, that's not really news. That's just fun. People Bobby, have seen the, res- I've seen the photos circulating social media. They know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyone who listens to this podcast, I'm sure, has seen that at this point.
1: Bobby perhaps they haven't seen that you talked to the Candace Parker, uh, last week, I believe. And smart, man, you got a bunch of self questions in there. What were some of the highlights of the answers, but then what was the,
0: some of the highlights of that experience? So one of my favorite aspects of it is it was abundantly clear right off the bat that Candace Parker is authentic when you're watching her on TNT, for example, it's the same way on camera, off camera, if she's doing a one-on-one with little old me, if she's hosting something charity related, if she's with a, you know just a few friends hanging out, it's very clear that she is who she is and authentically owns that no matter the circumstance. So that's something that I always appreciate and was cool to see and get a feel for. And then secondly, just in terms of Celtics related answers, I enjoyed that she challenged Jason Tatum like, hey, it's your time to step up. And she said that that's her pick for MVP this season. And again, he's entering his prime. Everything is built around him. And it's time for him to take the next step in his career. Peyton Pritchard, we're going to get to it later, but just as a little tease, he talked about how there's a palpable sense around this team and why guys are showing up early to the hour back Center this offseason. season. Because they understand and they feel like to use that word again, it's their time. And so all of that starts with how far Jason Tatum in particular takes this team.
1: I mean, yeah, first of all, Candace Parker knows ball. If that, um, <laughs> I think that um I think that Celtics are emotionally at is if it's the unfitness is un it's just like they've been compounded. Um Any other thoughts on the the interview? And apologies
0: if I cut in and out. It seems like my internet's a little crappy. It's all good. Sometimes the IT gods just aren't on our side. But as far as other thoughts from the interview, you know, it was interesting to hear her assess trading Marcus Smart, bringing in Kristaps Porzingis, what she likes, what she's concerned about, what she's monitoring. And obviously one of those aspects is with Kristaps, while a good drop coverage defender, and a totally different position and style than Marcus Smart. It's not apples to apples. It is an overall downgrade in terms of defensive talent, but we talked about Boston maximizing Tatum and Brown and also improving their crunch time offense. I think it's held them back as much as anything in recent trips to the postseason. And so the idea that not only having more size and positional balance, but better spacing and a reliable kickout option in Kristaps Porzingis that should really go a long way for Boston.
2: I also just want to quickly jump in and say that I think there's definitely something to the idea that, like, when you lose a defensive player of the year candidate, you're going to take a little bit of a hit defensively. But Christoph Porzingis as a rim protector is really not a slouch at all. That guy is a seriously good shot blocker. And I think there's some optimism, at least in my mind, that while there will be, I think, probably a slight defensive drop-off, Given that Derek White is an excellent point of attack defender, and the Celtics' kind of core defensive identity is still largely intact, it's different, but it's it's still five guys who can defend on the floor at all times. I do think that um, I'm I'm a little bit less worried about a steep, staggering defensive drop off, particularly because Kristaps is just an excellent shot blocker.
3: Yeah, I actually want to weigh on that as well, because I feel like he's really been getting the short end of the shrift when it comes to his defensive abilities. He's actually rated on synergy, if I'm not mistaken, a better shot blocker than Rob is. He's not as mobile, particularly on the perimeter, uh, but he is a really good defender. And as long as he's in the part of the court where he excels, it's going to be fine.
0: He also is
1: the third or fourth tallest person in the NBA. So even if he doesn't block shots, he's going to get in people's way.
0: He's got quick Um, hips too. And I think that helps a lot with, especially when guys are coming downhill being able to, because there's a lot of centers that have the length and the size, but they're not good shot blockers or rim protectors. I think that ability to, again, quickly flip his hips and stay within striking distance to then get his paw on the ball or disrupt the shot has a lot to do with why he's so effective in that role.
1: I'm not mature enough to have not giggled at quick (laughs) hips. Um, that was my nickname in college, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, speaking of Bigs, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. I really apologize. Um, Justin from the Jazz organization, Nmayus Queda, is that his name? Keda. Keda.
3: Keda. Yeah. Keda. Okay. Keda. Thank you. Keda. Yeah. I've heard it. I've heard it on broadcast. Looking at highlights of him as Keda, but I've also heard Keda. Yeah. Well, well, I've subject. heard the the guy who did the
0: Kings G League games. Every time I watched a clip said Kita, so I'm rolling with him. Cool. It's key to success. Um, Justin, <laughs> but I'm um, going to roll,
3: baby.
1: Justin, uh, what do you know about this young man? He's on a two-way. Does he make the team?
3: Uh, I think he's going to be on the team as a two-way. I think they're going to give him some time to see how well or if he can uh, fill in for the bigs when someone's sitting on a back-to-back or, God forbid, someone's injured. I think he's going to surprise some people in terms of his athleticism. He has some similarities in his game in terms of being a shot blocker, having length uh, like Rob, but he's a lot more sturdily built. He's he's the kind of thicker, more, shall we say, stout big that you need to, to really put a dent in the games of people like Joel Embiid or Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's not going to be tasked with defending those guys regularly. If he even gets on the floor during one of the games, when they're on the floor, that's going to be pretty good for him. But the hope is probably going to be that he can grow into with some run at the G league level, a more permanent rotation, big, who can again, eat some regular season minutes when he has to.
1: Yeah. Every Red Sox fan has tried to tell me that they're in good position because they're growing their farm system. And so I guess the Celtics developing their young talent is what needs to be done um plus the he'll have six fouls to give that's not nothing all right other side of the court or other part of the court I suppose uh it's so funny that his nickname is fast pp that's never not gonna be funny speaking of immaturity um Peyton Pritchard talked to Himmelsbeck of the globe and as Bobby you alluded to you know he's pumped up um he's excited to potentially have a elevated role Alex I'll go to you first just to get you in the fold. what do you envision uh Pritchard's role actually being this season
3: so I think it will
2: be largely determined by Peyton Pritchard. Um, I think for starters, he's going to get more minutes in all likelihood than he did last year, at least at the very start of the season. Um, you know, I think Joe Missoula really likes shooting, uh, as we know, and he really likes floor spacing. Peyton Pritchard can help with that. He is a good three-point shooter, um, particularly, I think, lineups with him out there with, like, Sam Hauser and, like, kind of, if you want to go with an all-spacing lineup, I think there's an argument that Pritchard can see the floor. Um, But ultimately, Peyton Pritchard's role is going to be determined by how capable is Peyton Pritchard defensively. Um, If he continues to be a sieve, a guy who gets targeted every single time down the floor that he's on the floor, it's going to be really hard for him to get meaningful rotation minutes on this team, uh, particularly with their championship expectations. And I am a little dubious based on what I saw last year. I think that there's definitely, you know, in the interview, he talks about how he needs to improve as a defender and how that's one of the things that he's focusing on, which I think makes sense. That should be one of his goals. But until he shows that he can consistently stay on the court without getting like bullied, I guess I would think of him as a guy who will see spot minutes in the regular season, but will probably be largely out of the rotation come playoff time. You can score
1: early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when they place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options from spreads and player props, over-unders, and more. Make sure you visit fanduel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager. Only $10 first deposit is required. Bonuses are issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Hope is here. Gambling Helpline, ma.org, or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. Go to gamesensema.com or call one 800 gam one two three four. All back to the action. Well, uh, I hope Pritchard is emotionally ready for that. Um, Bobby, I'm going to switch gears, talk about a different Globe interviewer, rather Globe reporter, talking about a different uh, guard. Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe, but uh, by the podcast made mention that Brogdon is pissed with the team. I think he used the word pissed specifically that there hasn't been much communication and there's not that much clarity on uh, his injury status. So uh, you can weigh in on the Pritchard thing, but Bobby, where are you at with that Brogdon situation?
0: Yeah, I'll keep the focus to Brogdon. Ultimately, I lean on the fact going into it, at least sight unseen, that he is a professional. He also understands the nature of this business. So while the fact that he was about to get traded is something that blindsided him, I think once he arrives in training camp and once he's around the team and everything, that it will slowly become water under the bridge. Forgive, don't forget, as they say. And what's going to be interesting to monitor here, Cam and company, is that last year he didn't start once. That was a part of their regimen. And you know it was a, a fortu- an unfortunate and fluky injury that undid him in the playoffs. And even the way he exacerbated it, trying to box out Kevin Love in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, That's bad muzzle more than anything else. And so it'll be interesting to see, though, without Marcus Smart there, does Malcolm Brogdon step into the starting lineup at times this year when Derek White is absent? And does that also count as sort of an olive branch to make things a little bit easier with that relationship between him and the organization? Or it
1: boosts his trade value. Um, That
0: too. It'll be interesting,
1: I, I guess we have kind of referred to Jalen as a forward because of all NBA voting, but there's a world where he's also a primary backcourt rotation player. And I don't know that the depth chart, as we traditionally understand that really matters when push comes to shove. And certainly like down the stretch when it's, you know, seven or eight guys doesn't really matter, but be curious to see where certain players land. Like if Tatum ends up playing the four and Brown ends up playing the two a lot, what does that look like? Justin, Justin, uh clean it up anything we missed from the Pritchard or the Brogdon stories or your two cents in the matter
3: uh just regarding Brogdon to keep it very very brief I'm not too worried about the situation for the reasons that have already been discussed but also because of the fact that if you make yourself a malcontent on a team with title aspirations you will find yourself on whatever team can give you a point card that is not complaining very fast
1: I also think that Sam Cassell specifically is going to be a great person to have in Brogdon's ear and I, I wrote about this in uh uh, be on the lookout for a roundtable on Celtics Wire. Um, I think that the the new assistants will actually benefit people like Horford and Brogdon the most because I think that those two guys are now veterans, obviously, but not necessarily always the loudest voice in the room. And so it will kind of bridge the gap between coaching staff, veteran players, and then core younger players. Uh, speaking of Celtics Wire, <laughs> Justin, I'm I, as much as we're happy for Bobby Manning talking to Mike Muscala, and we're happy Mike Muscala had a nice experience in Boston. Can you tell us about how you worked your magic on Celtics Wire? With regards to what? Uh, Muscala and a particular photo that you dug up.
3: Oh, that was so bad. You're making me talk about that joke. Oh God, he had a cup of coffee and I found him drinking a cup of coffee. So I made that (laughs) photo. Where was he? Was he at Nero, Tate, Duncan? Oh no, he was walking walking into practice, I believe. No, no, it looked more like uh, TD Garden. Gotcha. the same coffee they serve us, Bobby. Um,
1: <laughs> one of the great things of working with Justin is there's a lot of Easter eggs and Celtics Wire content that for an audience of two, maybe three. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that much. was certainly that was certainly one of them.
3: I'm so um, sorry on behalf of us all. Whatever.
1: It's it's still the dog days, the off season. This is good, it's true. Uh, it's true. good content. Um, yeah, we, we like Mascala. We were rooting for him, I think, personally. Didn't see the floor much. Maybe it wasn't the right fit after all they make good coffee in DC. Good luck to them. Um, I guess this is, let's be honest, not that surprising, but Winning Time, the HBO show got axed. We were lucky to talk to Jeff Perlman, who wrote the book that became the show. He was really great, really phenomenal episode. I think it's still evergreen. I'd check it out if you're curious about how that show came to be. Um, But HBO said, thanks. We'll
0: see you later to that show. Bobby, did you ever watch Winning Time? I didn't. I did enjoy some of the social media clips like the when the cameramen are on roller skates yeah. <laughs> and they're filming it. That was cool to watch. Ultimately, I think this show reappears on Netflix or some other streaming service.
3: They hinted that might be a possibility too. They were very noncommittal when asked about that. Yeah, yeah that's, it, how,
0: that's how I
1: see it playing out. It just, I think the second season got a, they need to iron some things out, but the brand value is unbelievable. The acting is unbelievable. Um, I think it was The Watch, the Ringer podcast, they were saying HBO just like doesn't value its premium assets right now in the same way. So Bobby, you might be right. Uh, maybe it's the show didn't have enough juice or maybe it's just...
3: They couldn't promote you know, it because right. a writers strike on and it sucks that, that this was a casualty of it, but that's more important.
1: Yeah. I hope they go back to the magic, no pun intended, that the first season had because the second season didn't have it, but...
3: Well, the second season was a hell of an ending for a Laker-centric... Uh... I was about to say. <laughs> How ironic.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Red Auerbach won the day. Um, okay, last bit of news uh, while we're gassing each other up. I hopped on NBA 2K and I simulated the Celtics season. I hope that you read about it for, uh, over on Celtics Wire, but just in case you don't, I'll tell you exactly what happened right now. Um, Boston was great. No surprises. Not a lot of hardware at the end of the season, sim. And then, literally, the worst case scenario happened. Boston went down 3 nothing in the second round to the Heat because of an injury. I remember injury. that. Uh, yes, sounds familiar. They Someone turns
3: an ankle, it ends poorly. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. So then it went to seven games, and then Boston lost to Miami. Miami played the 64 win 76ers in the conference finals while the Warriors and the uh, Ma- Mavericks, who employ one Kyrie Irving, faced off in the West and ultimately it was Heat over Warriors in the finals. So Celtics fans, if you are wondering what a worst case scenario for 23-24 looks like, it's something like that. So if you want to emotionally prepare yourself for the worst to come, you can check out what I wrote on Celtics Wire, or you can hang tight, because in the lab portion of the programming, we will be doing exactly that. And parenthetically, might I add, woof. Okay, we're gonna play a game, Bobby, of SI. We are going to talk about uh, what my, my glass half full, glass half empty approach to the Boston Celtics, our hopes and our fears um, on individual level, and then maybe summatively we'll do collective. So what we're going to do is we're going to just like run through things. What is a best case scenario for these people? And obviously a title is, you know, an acceptable answer. And what is a worst case scenario other than like the TV garden blows up or something like a, a realistic one. Um, so what we'll do is we'll kind of hop around. We'll each take turns. Um, but if anyone takes severe umbrage with what someone else said, they can hop in, but only if it's severe. How's that? Did I miss anything, Justin?
3: How how do we grade umbrage to arrive at a level? <laughs> of you <severe>? just
0: feel <laughs> it. Okay. You know, umbrage when you feel it. Yeah. Uh,
3: yes. <laughs> yeah. That's like
1: a certain type of adult content. You can't name it, but you know it when you feel it. God, this is a crazy episode. Okay, Bob,
0: what is the dead zone of the off season?
1: Yeah, let's, let's go with that. Um, let's start with Wick and the ownership group. Um, it's probably a pretty easy one to answer, but what
0: is the highest ceiling for the season for the ownership group and the lowest floor? The highest ceiling is a championship while staying under that second apron. At least one of those seems like a foregone conclusion. I know they talk about their willingness to go over it. I don't see it happening in season. And the lowest is a Porzingis injury. I would say also a significant injury, God forbid, to Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. And then they start going over the tax pretty soon while at least one of their stars are recovering and their growth is stunted by again a, a serious injury.
1: This is gonna be a bummer episode because that's a,
3: gonna be we, we gotta we talk about these house names, empty. Gotta do it, yeah. yeah.
1: Right, we're emotionally level setting, okay. Um, Alex, same question for Brad Stevens What is uh, the most successful version of the season look like, and what is the least successful version of the season look like?
2: The most successful version of this season for Brad Stevens looks like Jason Tatum signing a max five-year extension at the end of the season after hoisting the finals MVP trophy a few weeks before. Um, The least successful version of this season for Brad Stevens is uh, Jason Tatum is starting to make noises about potentially not being interested in signing that uh, extension or moving out after he signed that extension jalen brown is um unhappy with the development of the team and the kind of progression going forward christoph porzingis and rob williams are devalued as trade assets due to injuries and brad stevens is staring down the barrel of a hard reset
1: man every time we do the worst case scenario i get bummed um i'm gonna <laughs> take a look i'm gonna cheat and just like hop in and add i think the porzingis thing is a Defining enough move that somewhere in the best case scenario is Porzingis looks really good. Um, and I suppose the opposite might be true. Okay, Dr. Quinn, uh, talk to us about Joe
3: Missoula. Best Ooh, case, boy. Worst case, Well, the the best version is the fully realized version of Missoula ball it is properly executed by his team who listened to him on the way to a title or very nearly so. I think they can get away with... A six game final series and not be looked at as a failure as much as it might rile some people to hear that uh and the worst case scenario is everyone coming to visit joe in the next off season as he settles into his new job as the head coach of the university of rhode island i think that's not the worst case scenario there are, <laughs> there are worse gigs
1: um okay i have charles lee and this is like galaxy brain i think the best case scenario is he sets himself up to be a head coach somewhere else next season um like with respect to team loyalty and whatnot most coaches in the nba would like to be head coaches i would imagine i've never met charles lee i don't
0: know that but i hope I mean, he he was on the verge the pistons were prepared to offer him the job and they decided to make one last aggressive push at monty williams and he was a finalist for the raptors vacancy before yeah. it he obviously didn't get it and that's once he didn't get that is when he ended up in Boston. So he not only wants to be a head coach, he probably will be one next off season. And it nearly happened this summer. Okay. We're going to
1: pause the action to talk about our friends over at AG one at the daily foundational nutrition supplement designed to support whole body health. I gave AG one a try this summer actually, and uh, I'm giving it more of a serious uh, go at exercising. And so I thought, you know, I better do the right things away from workouts so in between, you know, games of basketball and going for runs, I got to take care of my body. And AG1 is a solution that supports my entire body every day. And I feel like I'm covering my nutritional bases. It's also not the point of the ad read and it's not in the copy, but it comes uh, with a nice water bottle that I use in between AG1 sessions. How's that? Um, I like it. It supports my gut. It supports my immune system. That leaves me feeling more energized. It's also easier than taking a bunch of vitamins and pills, which... It's not something that I am capable of keeping track of or really would want to. Also, it tastes good for whatever that's worth. Um, I think people assume health supplements are supposed to taste bad, but that the people at AG1 did not get the memo because it tastes pretty good. So over the summer, I didn't have that much routine, routine, but now that I'm back, I'm taking it every morning. I feel good. I feel energized. I feel like I'm doing the right thing for me and taking care of my body. And if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com lab, L-A-B. That's drinkag1.com lab and check it out. Okay, back to the podcast. Yeah, um, okay, so dig it. I love that. Good luck, Mr. Lee. Uh, worst case scenario is if things go south for Boston and, and it's not clear why there's going to be some scapegoating. And if it's like, it goes south in a kind of a palatable way, I could see changing the coaching staff being something that they do just to say like, look, we're being proactive to solve the problem. Um, so even if he doesn't have a new job lined up, like perhaps uh, they could make a move there. I hope they prioritize stability, but it's a fickle industry. Okay. We're on the players, and we went alphabetically, so you get what you get, and you don't get upset. Bobby, best-case scenario for Delano
0: Banton? Worst-case scenario for Delano Banton? Best-case scenario is that he proves to be someone who can contribute as a point guard as well as a wing and be a player who makes an impact positively at both ends of the floor. The worst case for him is that we don't hear his name, and he has a less memorable
3: Celtics career than Jerome Moiso. <laughs> UCLA's finest. I think uh, there's a chance he might not even make the team, given he's got a low guarantee, and there might be sexier stuff out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I also think there's a chance that I completely
0: skipped Sam Cassell. So, Bobby, bonus round. Best case scenario for Sam Cassell. that It's like you said with Charles Lee. He sets himself up to be a head coach somewhere next year. You can't rule out that it could be in Boston, depending on what happens with Missoula. And the worst case, I would say, is that the staff doesn't get along maybe there's a lack of trust between the group or some members of it or and you know also that they don't agree philosophically and that impacts those relationships and the clarity of the messages being communicated to the players
1: I really hope someone does a big balls dance this year I think that's somewhere
0: they have to do it that's somewhere in the big the The question uh, is Sam Cassell have to pay the fine if someone does it Hmm. Um, they could each pay for one of the
1: balls, I guess, um, <laughs> Alex, I'll just remind you that I'm the world's biggest O'Shea Brissett supporter. So mm-hmm. supporter. Okay. Yeah. Maybe second, maybe second. Biggest. <laughs> um, okay. I probably can't claim that anymore. Now that I learned that information about O'Shea Brissett, uh, <laughs> Alex, what does success look like for O'Shea? What is a failure feels harsh? What's a worst case scenario?
2: The successful story of O'Shea Brissett this season is that he turns into this year's Bruce Brown and has an impactful playoff run where he plays meaningful minutes down the stretch, uh, really asserts himself as a high-level defensive role player and gets paid in the offseason by probably not the Celtics, but somebody who's willing to give him a big contract to be a key cog in their team after a successful finals run as a key role player. Um, the worst case scenario for O'Shaper set is probably not all that far. I mean, so first off, with the players, let's maybe just like rule out, except in some obvious cases like a severe injury, just because yeah. that's kind of boring. Caveats um, are known, right? Exactly. But the worst case scenario for a healthy O'Shaper set is that he never really quite get back, quite gets back to his shooting form that he displayed mm-hmm. early in his career continues to be a sub-average shooter from the perimeter and kind of starts to shift into becoming an NBA journeyman, just like bouncing around various teams on kind of small-ish contracts uh, as the Celtics move on from him after an unsuccessful playoff run.
1: Yeah, I I guess also like being traded to, I don't know, pick your least favorite team, like the Magic or... The Rockets the Mag- is also a worst-case scenario. The Magic
2: are going to be good this year.
1: <laughs> yeah, but then you have to work for the DeVos family.
2: Yeah, fair enough.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Which is a worst-case scenario. Um, mm-hmm. Emily and I were in a, at a wedding a few weeks ago in Rhode Island, and she was like, everyone keeps making organized crime jokes about Rhode Island. Is this a, is this a thing? And I was like, yes, this is a thing. <laughs> yes, um, it is. But I also think that the Syracuse Mafia uh, has its grips on the NBA in a way that I'm still piecing together. Anyways. It, it all just starts with the media. Mm-hmm. I've learned as such. <laughs> Very few uh, Pitt Tuffs alum in the Celtics media room, but um,
3: a lot of Syracuse people. Anyways, Justin, Brogdon, good luck. Well, first I have to point out the incredible new college contingent, contingent of Boston Celtics media, which is just me and Hunter Felt uh, <laughs> over at Fortune, or Forbes, excuse me. Uh, but as far as Brogdon goes, I don't really have too much to add in terms of Worst case scenario, because we already kind of talked about it and we kind of already also, again, rehashed another element of where he would end up. Uh, if he does not want to be with the Celtics and makes it known that he does not want to be with the Celtics, that would be the worst case scenario. Uh, more specifically, say hello to your new backup point guard, Cole Anthony. And the best case scenario, I think, is I don't think the the uh, milieu of people who have won – Six men of a year twice is very large if it even exists, but he it would does. be in it. And Jamal Crawford, right?
2: Uh-huh, ah, yeah. And Lou Williams.
3: Nice. Um,
1: I think by now listeners have recognized that <laughs> I'm running on fumes because as Justin was talking, I'm looking at her notes. I'm like, who the hell's Brown? <laughs> I've since put it D, together. Right? Yeah, deep Brown. Um, I've since put it together. I'm back. I had to screw back <laughs> back on. Okay. The worst case scenario for Jalen Brown is a repeat of last postseason. I'm of the mind that the dribbling with the left and the turnovers is easy to hark on, but it's not enough data to say that it's a statistically significant trend. It's really loud. It's really obvious. It did happen, but it's not who Jalen is, I don't think. However, we went through another postseason where once again, he had those problems. I, I think that that Argument that I just laid out kind of runs out of gas. The best case scenario is, you know, he makes all NBA, he makes all star. He, I suppose best case scenario is finals MVP um, or co-finals MVP. Uh, Yeah, that's, I mean, that's implied that could definitely happen. So uh, I don't think Jalen Brown's going anywhere anytime soon. I don't, I mean, legally he can't, but I don't think that even the groundwork would be laid this season in a worst case scenario, but uh, he could certainly, you know, make the people on the radio mad. Bobby, you're on the radio. What do you think of J.D. Davison?
0: I mean, he no one moves the needle in talk radio like <laughs> yeah. J.D. Davison. I mean, I, I really like him. I, I spoke with him at the end of the season, and he talked about learning from Marcus Smart and stepping out of his comfort zone, that he's more of a quiet, lead-by-example person, but especially the higher up you go, At that floor general position, you have to be more communicative. And so he's really worked on that aspect along with his shot. I thought that it was a mixed bag for him at Summer League. And he's someone who, how long are you going to be on these two-way contracts playing almost exclusively in the G League? So this is a crucial season for his development and earning an opportunity on an NBA roster full-time. Before
1: we recorded, Alex was like, I can't wait to talk about Taylor Funk. I have so many takes on this kid Funk. Like, please let me be the guy who talks about Funk. So Alex, (laughs) what's good with
2: Taylor Funk? Um, The best case scenario for Taylor Funk is I know who Taylor Funk is by the end of the season for good reasons, because he cracks in the rotation and becomes a beloved weird role player in the tradition of like a Jonas Jarebko or something like that where he has to inexplicably inexplicably be thrust into a role that is way bigger than he should be and uh performs reasonably well and maybe you know gets in a fight that wins over the Boston fans or something like that um the worst case scenario for Taylor Funk is that I never speak about Taylor Funk again after this podcast because he's cut before he even gets a chance to make the roster
3: there's a really good chance that that happens, too. In fact, I think the only realistic path for him, uh, the best case scenario for him is that Nemesquita makes the roster because I think he's going to need to join as a two-way player if he has any chance at all of joining the team.
1: Or, you know, get a coat and
3: enjoy Maine. Um, Dr. Quinn, big smooth, Sam Hauser. Hauser, I think uh, the best case for him is that he – becomes trusted enough and a good enough defender where he actually can stay on the floor in the postseason. He's going to get some, some run in the regular season, but we don't really care that much about that. It's whether he can actually be a rotation player in the playoffs. And I do think it's possible, but it's going to require him being trusted by Joe Mazzola, which has not exactly gone great so far. Uh, the worst case scenario for him is that he just falls out of the rotation entirely uh, and maybe ends up as trade fighter uh, going to some other team that tries to rekindle the magic he had in his uh, first season playing for the Celtics.
1: I, I'm i Sam Hauser's starter curious. Maybe not in the postseason, but there is some fun geography to play with there. Okay, uh, I have Mr. Horford. I mean, the best case scenario is he continues to be one of the top three three-point shooters, um, and that persists in the postseason, uh, which would be different than last year. I think the worst case scenario, like if we're being sincere is that he gets traded to the Sixers and has to play for the Sixers. Just like based on what we know, that would be the worst case scenario for Al Horford. Um, and that's because of the Sixers and not because of Al Horford. Oh, Bobby, you get to talk about Luke. I'm so jealous. Um, Bobby, Luke Cornett, the tallest. I say? <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> oh man, hilarious. Um, the tallest American-born NBA player, to my knowledge, still is Luke Cornett. What is uh, his ceiling? What is his floor?
0: The best case for him is that in particular on nights where one of the three bigs ahead of him on the depth chart are not playing, that he capitalizes and earns minutes even when all three are in the lineup and that he proves that he can be someone, perhaps even he contributes beyond just spot minutes in the regular season and one half of a back-to-back, for example, and the worst case is that he's not up for that role that last year was better than this coming campaign for Cornette. And so we'll have to see where it is. I do think there's so much talk about even after signing Keita to a two-way deal because of the nature of that contract. Hey, do they need to get another center? I think that he is well-suited for the role that he's in, but the question is, can he go out and prove it after I would say being solid in that job last season?
1: Yeah. Beautiful. Um, you know how sometimes they make people read the names of towns in Massachusetts and it's, it's like a viral video. I say this as someone whose mom is Mary Quigley from Somerville. I'd like them to find the people with the thickest Boston accents or traditional Boston accents, Dr. Quinn, the non rhotic Boston accents, and have them pronounce different um, Celtics names like Tzvi. I think that spelling... <laughs> made it worse for me. Spelling it phonetically made it work. Uh, Mihailik? Is that how we're, we're going with? Um, so Alex, what's the best case, worst case scenario for
2: Svi? Um, I think the best case scenario for Svi is that by the end of this season, he's established himself as a guy who can contribute on teams that actually have expectations in a kind of role-playing sense. So far, Svi has been a perfectly fine, solid role-player on teams that are going absolutely nowhere. Um, I think the best case scenario for Svi is he like has a couple of playoff moments where he heads into this offseason with teams that are actually, you know, looking to make playoff runs to actually like go for it, uh, where those teams are interested in Svi and interested in compensating him appropriately. I think he's probably in Boston for one year, if I'm being honest, but, you know, maybe not, but I guess that's that's my best case scenario. Worst case scenario for Svi, I think, is pretty obvious. Is you know, he just kind of continues to bounce around as he has until eventually he's out of the league and playing somewhere in Europe. Um, probably you know sooner rather than later. But I'm I'm somewhat optimistic that he's going to be closer to the former.
1: Great, um, Doctor Quinn. A different Eastern European. What's good with Porzingis?
3: Well, I think the best case for Przingis is that he is exactly what they hoped he would be when they brought him on, namely that he is able to provide a different look late in games, particularly in the postseason, even though he has absolutely no significant postseason experience. Uh, But that aside, you can tell I'm a little worried about this. The worst case scenario, apart from injury, which is, you know, not something that we can ignore, but this is spread throughout the team is probably better suited for the team perspective Uh, As an individual, the worst case scenario that doesn't involve injury for him is that he doesn't click with this group. He doesn't feel his role, uh, isn't happy about how many touches he's getting compared to his teammates, envisions something bigger for himself because of his excitement for joining the Celtics, uh, creates tension, derails the season. You get the picture. Yeah, that's
1: another one of those worst-case scenarios that like emotionally makes me feel (laughs) quite worried. Um, I have Pritchard. I think, obviously, the worst-case scenario is a repeat of the past season or so where he's not really getting any burn. There's not that much uh, trade interest in him, and so he just kind of like rides the pine in Boston and doesn't have a consistent role. I think that that would bother him deeply. I think the best-case scenario for Pritchard is, first of all, he ekes out a consistent role but if he can hit like a game-winning shot in the postseason and just like solidify himself as a fan favorite even if you know his career is what it is as a role player he'll at least have that and just to make it a little sweeter i i assume nbc sports boston will still have the first round of the postseason um so if we could get mike gorman on the call just because Pritchard is fun to say uh as mike gorman and um i mean if you have mike gorman kind of like Isolating and uh putting into what is a Han Solo in? Not kryptonite. What do they put Han Solo in? Carbonite. Carbonite, thank you. Yeah, if uh Mike corman can put your legacy in Carbonite, that's pretty sweet. So that's best case scenario for Pritchard. Uh Body, Kita, to make it quick. We already talked about it about him off the top.
0: Sure. Best case is that 15th roster spot remains open and he takes it. If we're going ideal scenario on a multi-year deal and the worst case is that it starts to become clear this season that this is as good as it gets for him and he never goes from a two-way deal to signing a full-time nba contract with any team all
1: right great alex jay scrub who has the same birthday as me thank you very much
0: uh best
2: case scenario for jay scrub is that he graduates from a two-way contract into an actual NBA contract, uh, either with the Celtics or with somebody else, and ends up becoming like a fun novelty scorer in the league who can come in for eight to 12 minutes a game and just put up big numbers. Worst case scenario is that uh, Jace Grub is not playing in the NBA as soon as this season.
3: Dr. Quinn, you get Taco J. So Taco J is probably the easiest for best case scenario. And that's just MVP final is MVP banner 18, right? Can't get any mm-hmm. better than that. Worst case scenario in my mind is that nagging wrist injury that has been lingering for almost two full seasons. Now, maybe even longer, depending on when it actually happened, that still being a thing significant enough that none of those things happen. That's, for me, he's the worst-case scenario. I'll push back and say, like,
1: Tatum is getting so strong. I mean, he's in the gym every day. I feel like if he was in pain, he oh, would have be course. able to maintain this. But I, I agree that uh, he seems to be preoccupied with that same hand.
2: I'm going to just jump in really quickly, sorry, and say, if we're going to try and avoid, for the most part, the injury designation, except for with some obvious cases, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, I think one worst case scenario for Jason Tatum that I could see is him basically modifying his game in a way that leads to stunting his growth rather than actually encouraging it, becoming a little bit too ISO heavy, becoming, you know, kind of leaning into some of the tendencies that uh, can at times hinder him and basically turn him uh, from, you know, somebody who could be a true great player into somebody who could be like a, a good all-star that never really quite makes that leap.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Alex. Last year, the coaching staff, for example, really tried to encourage him to take more pull-up threes. And at least last season, he was not good at it, and it took away from how he shines brightest. So it'll be interesting to see what develops on that front this season as just an example of the overall point you're making. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and he, i mean, because he's twenty-five or twenty-six, it's like this inflection point. Is he going to be Carmelo Anthony, or is he going to be a more dynamic player? He's not going to be LeBron, but like closer in the model of LeBron. I think he, I think that's spot on, Alex. But none of that happens if his you know wrist is cooked. Okay, I've got um the kid Jordan Walsh best case scenario he cracks into a championship uh, team rotation and he learns and he has his moments. I mean, he's like nineteen. <laughs> Let's not. Expect the world out of him. Um, probably the worst case scenario is, uh, I guess I, I'll, I'll give two. One is because of complicated reasons, he's thrown into the deep end and really flounders and it doesn't look good. Or he just like really never sees the floor, which happens to rookies. So it's not really that dynamic of a worst case scenario. Okay, Bobby, you're the guest. So I'm going to be the last two, um, but I think some of us will have things to say about these, um, but
0: let's start with Derek White, Bobby. What's the best case scenario and the worst case scenario for dark white? Best case is he makes another all defensive team, ideally first, if this is how we're looking at a glass half full and that he holds down and steps into that point guard position, being able to, and in this system in particular, I think he will where it's more than anything, bring it up, be able to handle the press, but that's also why press breakers exist and then get the ball so many other players, it's not just get it to Tatum or Brown even. They have bigs that could be offensive hubs, for example. So it's more than anything, just get the offense initiated, which is why I think he can be this type of a point guard. And then when you're talking concerns, there were whispers last year, as he was an Iron Man about he's not really someone who's proven his durability. And especially the more that goes onto his plate, the louder the concerns got in certain corners about... Derek White's ability to stay healthy. And so we'll have to see this season without Marcus Smart there as the full-time starting point guard. Is he able to stay available even if it's not 82 games? Can he at least be healthy through the duration of a postseason run? Yeah, I want to chime in
1: there. I think if last season was the best version of Derek White and we get 90% of that next season, that's a good outcome. But I think the commentary will be like, oh, Derek White is you know coming up cold or he's regressing or whatever and i think it's possible that was maybe his, what his best season as a pro could look like and that's okay um so that's neither our best or a worst case scenario in fact that's perhaps maybe my most likely scenario but i think it will be treated like a worst case scenario when as bobby you identified it could get worse
3: I like the it. way that you frame that, though, because he's scaling up his usage significantly in the absence of smart, and that could go one of two ways. He could be a most improved player, for example, if it goes with the way that you're talking, or it could go disastrously for a lot of different reasons, and health, uh, which has not been an issue. I mean, he's also not played as much. You know, We're talking like four, five, six minutes a game. Also, he could be bald, and that
1: yeah. might not work for him. I mean, he had a, he had a whole thing. There's no gifts of him being bald yeah but or you it didn't. could
2: work or it could work really well i'm just gonna throw that out
3: i mean there, there
1: are there are some good bald podcasters <laughs> and nba players out there but
3: michael jordan justin Quinn, what can i say no. the big two yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> lamb and tuna fish those two
3: okay uh bobby let's do the,
1: the, i'm kind of over time lord i can i be honest i, I think i like lob williams a lot more um but I don't know. The Time Lord thing, you know, Justin doesn't like it. I just, I I wrote about this on Celtics Wire. It just, like, got gentrified. Like, it just became corporate too fast. I don't know. Anyways, Bobby, what's good with Robert Williams III? I
0: do agree with that latter point. Lob Williams is too restrictive, though, because Time Lord works with the blocks, too. So I still think it prevails, but we'll certainly, the committee will get together and yeah. we'll try <laughs> to come up with something else. Weird Celtics Twitter, that's your job more than anyone else's. And then when it comes to him, on the court, it's that he meshes well with Kristaps Porzingis. We know he does with Al Horford and that he can handle a role where he is the starter. He's able to play heavy minutes in terms of individual shifts and over the course of a game, let alone a season and the playoffs and that he really grows, I would say offensively too. They've been so aggressive in trying to get him to look for his shot more when he gets a mismatch coming off a screen. So between that, between we know that he has excellent instincts and is a really accurate passer too who sees the court well and makes quick decisions with the ball. So it's being able to be more than just the dunks at one end, the shot blocking at the other. And so we'll see if he can grow in particular offensively because we know he also does bring more to the table than what I just referenced defensively.
2: I actually might... jump in and say I'm I'm kind of not sure that I agree only in the following sense which is I actually saw a pretty illuminating quote from Warriors center Kavan Looney the other day um, in which he described his journey as an NBA role player and how one of the things that's made him really successful is getting really good at like two things and that's rebounding and positional defense and I'm kind of of the opinion that as, as exciting as it would be to have Robert Williams be able to step out and take a jumper or to really like weaponize that well, it's,
0: it's not even the jumper, though. It, yeah. It's more than anything. It's can we get you the ball at the elbow and you find a cutter, for example, or someone curling off a screen for a shot. And again, if you get a guard on you as you roll to the rim, be able to finish that.
2: That's fair. I completely agree that those things could be very useful for sure to like turning him into a playmaking hub. But I almost wonder if Rob Williams' destiny might be, given what he is and what he has been up to this point, if like I kind of wonder if the most useful Rob Williams is a guy who just gets even better at the stuff that he's already good at to the point where he becomes like a role player who is like truly one of the best dunkers and shot blockers in the league. You know? I
3: don't know if that's possible because we've seen how he has played for the last two seasons, and this might just be the rob we get now. And if that's the case, particularly if it degrades even further, if we want to see him be able to contribute to a team, even on the salary that he's making now in a way that's positive, I think he does need to add to his game. He doesn't need to become a knockdown shooter, hitting corner threes and all that stuff, but he needs to be able to hit from 12 feet away from the basket fairly consistently and, or pass the ball as well as he can consistently. Uh, I, I, I see where you're coming from, and I don't disagree, but I'm a little less confident that we will see that version of Rob in the future. Possible.
1: I mean, I would, I guess I, I'll i bridge the gap. I think there's a world where Rob finds a new role, which amplifies what he already does well. Uh, I'll just keep beating this drum. I think that a Rob Williams pick and roll with Brogdon or someone else could be a really powerful second unit tool. Um, who knows? I don't even know if Missoula knows who's going to start at this point, but if, you know, you arrested one of the Jays or both of the Jays, Rob is a unique talent. The pick and roll is so reliable if you know how to run it. And that way he doesn't need to be a shooter. Um, But he could still impact offense in a way that's like a little more organized.
0: Um, no, that's, one, that's one of those things, Cam, sorry to jump in, but with Pritchard and Brogdon in that dynamic, because Brogdon... Last year, I know that frustrated a lot of people, including a good friend of this program, Jack Simone, and you, Cam, (laughs) that he he just didn't seem to look for Rob Williams on those pick-and-roll lobs that were there at times, and again, didn't even have his eyes towards it. So Brock did way more of a scorer than a facilitator, and that's an opportunity for Pritchard. When he talked about being able to contribute beyond his shooting, if he can be that facilitator off the bench to any extent, It's a huge boost for him and will lead to more minutes, especially if Brogdon doesn't contribute more in that capacity.
1: I feel like this exercise has made me feel more conflicted. Uh, I (laughs) I think I have less clarity about what's about to happen with the Celtics now that we have parsed things out. Um, So on that happy note, we've been talking to Bobby Kravitsky. He's from SI. He's from SportsMap Radio Network. You know him, you love him. This episode of the Celtics Lab podcast was brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network, and AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. As we just broke the news here, training camp is October the 2nd. So between now and then, Media some more
0: Media Day. Oh, and then please just start (laughs) the season. Goodness gracious. And cereal. All right. By the way, uh, can't come fast enough. I assume we're all on the same page that if yeah. any one of us had the power to start this tomorrow, that we would do so.
1: Oh,
2: yes. I like the
1: preseason, it's cute.
0: Yeah, that's something. Total, I'm just saying something. this
3: portion right now, this dead yeah. zone, I couldn't be more over it. I spend as much time trying to manufacture something to write about as I do writing about it. So yeah, I would really <laughs> love that.
2: It's gotten bad enough that I'm like, all right, I'm waiting for the Dame to Miami news <laughs> notification to drop just to get it over with so that we have something to talk about.
0: Yeah, there was a Arden update today. It's just anything we can get at this point.
1: Yeah, we're the real victims here. (laughs) Our, Our strength is just impeccable. Okay, anyways, like and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, and we will be back next week with God knows what.
3: Adios.